something does happen when you call upon the name of the Lord and as we begin this Kingdom Praying series and we talk about how significant and how essential prayer is to the life of the believer and to the activity of God in this world, I want to begin with a statement. Prayer ignites the activity of God on planet Earth. Prayer ignites the activity of God on planet Earth. There are some things that God has limited himself to do until his people pray. You see it all the way through Scripture. You see it with Abraham, that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham prays and intervenes. And because of Abraham's prayer, people are saved. You see it with Moses when the people sinned against God. And God said, I'll just wipe them out and start all over with you, Moses. And Moses prays and intervenes and intercedes on behalf of the people. You see it with Elijah. When Elijah prays and stops the rain and and it's a drought for three years and then he calls down fire on the altar and then he prays again for the rain. God has taken prayer and taught us some things about what it means to partner with the Lord in his activity on earth. Now here's just another little side thought before we jump into Luke 18. When you read the book of Jude, he talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. Here's what I think praying in the Holy Spirit means. It means that the Holy Spirit prompts you when to start and when to stop. When to stop praying and start believing. The Holy Spirit of God in us prompts us when to start praying about something and also when we need to stop praying about something and believe that God has heard our prayers. The book of Nehemiah, there over and over he's facing conflicts. And over and over you see a phrase something like this, Nevertheless, we made our prayers unto God. So if I'm going to live well, I have to learn to pray well. If I want to see God's activity ignited in my life, in my family, in our church, then I have to learn to pray well. And I pray based on the promises of God. I pray specifically, not generally. Lord, bless those for whom it is our duty to pray. Well, who is that? And what are you praying for? And how are you going to know if you get an answer if you don't pray specifically? And we pray not to be heard by men, but to be heard by God. And we're going to see that a lot tonight. Tonight we're looking at the the prayer of the tax collector and the prayer of the Pharisee and how God heard one prayer and he did not hear the other one. But does prayer matter? Or is this just something the church does to take up time? Is this something we do to try to twist God's arm? After all, God knows everything. And if God knows everything, why do we need to talk to him about anything? Because he already knows it. And after all, God is sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. So why do we need to pray? We need to pray because we need to be in partnership with God in his activities on this planet. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, prayer is not giving God a grocery list 
of all the things I want. Sometimes people pray and they're like a kid. You know, they put all the stuff that two-year-olds want right in the place where they sit in the grocery cart. So that as you're going by to get mayonnaise, they're reaching for Twinkies and for chocolate chip cookies, and they're going, oh, that's what I want. That's it. Sometimes we approach prayer like that. We think, I want to ride in the cart and grab everything off the shelves that I want. No. It's not to give God information. It's not to get what we want. It's for us to understand that God has a plan for us and for the world in which we live, and he wants us to be a part of it. It is not a grocery list of our needs. It is a surrendering to God that he knows what is best for us, and we get to join him in it. So the purpose of prayer is relational. That's why it matters. It's relational. See, prayer doesn't change God. If you think that prayer for one minute changes God, it doesn't. Prayer changes us. It makes us reliant and dependent on the Lord, acknowledging that we can't fix it or figure it all out. Prayer is active. It is not static. It is active. It's not static. It's not just repeating a few phrases that we learned and we heard somebody pray and we said, well, that's a good phrase. People said amen when he said that. I'm going to use that phrase the next time I pray. That, that's not what Lord teach us to pray means. Lord teach us to pray means teach us how to have an intimate relationship with you so that I can bring everything before you and hear your heart on these matters. So Luke chapter 18, verse 1. This is a parable that Jesus is telling. Now he's telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So if I don't pray, I'm going to lose heart. Right? That's what he just said. I'm to pray so that I won't lose heart. Saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet this widow bothers me. I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. As the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now... Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, let, let's look at the background here for just a minute. This is a contrast between this judge and this woman. And, and if you look at this, parable in the context of the gospel of Luke he has been talking about the coming kingdom and he's been telling them his followers his disciples that there was suffering coming there was persecution coming evil was coming their way opposition was coming their way and they needed to understand that at the center of it all is a righteous God who hears and knows and cares that when we are in the midst of suffering and trials, 
that God sees and hears and knows and he cares. And so he tells them this parable about prayer to remind them that we have a heavenly father who understands what we're going through. God is not clueless about what we're going through. Now there are two characters in this story. There'll be two characters in the story tonight. This is a two-person play, a parable, a story with a meaning. There's the judge. Now he is an unrighteous judge. He doesn't care about anybody. He only cares about doing what he wants to do. And there's a widow. Now the key about this judge is that most disputes when it came to the Jews were settled in the synagogue by the elders. So if there was a dispute between two Jews or two families or two businesses, they would take it to the synagogue and settle it. So this is not a typical story for what would happen among the Jews. Either this was a paid judge of Rome or a paid judge of Herod. And so Jesus tells this story about this paid judge, a unique situation that would have been notorious for being able to be bribed or his arm twisted by a good offer of money under the table. Then you have this widow, and she is helpless. She is defenseless. She has no right. She has no authority. She has no power. The only resource she has is she's persistent. She stays at it. And so it's interesting when you look at this phrase, she wears me out. Let me tell you what that means. It, it means, it can also be translated, she gives me a black eye. She's embarrassing me because everybody knows I'm not paying attention to her. She gives me a black eye. She's damaging my reputation. She's hurting my stature in the community because this widow, this nobody, keeps coming to me because somebody is persecuting her and causing her problems, and it's wearing me out. Now, Jesus tells this parable to say, that's not the way God is. God is not an unrighteous judge that can be bribed. But he is a father who hears the persistent cries of his children. He is a God who cares when we cry out to him, when we understand we have no place else to go, no one else to turn to, that God hears us and he answers us. Now, this is not to say that God will give us whatever we want. If, if that were true, a lot of us would have gotten things we didn't need and really weren't good for us. God is a father, and he knows what is best for us. He knows what we need and what we don't need. He knows the difference between what we say we need and what we want and what we really need. And so here is God who knows if I gave you everything you asked me for, it would hurt you, not help you. And so Jesus is painting this contrast, this picture of a God who is sovereign, who is interested in his kingdom being expanded, who is interested in his name being glorified. And he says, now, you approach me like that, not like I'm an unrighteous judge. 
Because the Jews at that time lived in a world where it was unrighteous leadership everywhere. Rome was in charge. They were under the thumb and the power of Rome. They were being persecuted and oppressed. So look at the blessings of this contrast. Luke is telling them, you need to pray so you don't faint, so you don't lose heart. Pray how? With persistence. You know, when I was writing the power of desperation and then writing the power of persistence, those two words became a part of my DNA because I learned as I began to study and read and think and write that God is looking for people who stay at it. God is not looking for fair-weather followers. God is not looking for people that just do what he wants them to do when it's convenient. He's looking for people that are desperate, that are persistent, that long for his involvement in their life. And so this prayer example, this parable, would have been totally alien to the Jews of that time. Because, as we know, Muslims pray five times a day. Well, the Jews of that day, and often even the Orthodox Jews, pray three times a day. And the reason they chose three make sure you understand this, was so they wouldn't wear God out and weary him. Now, we know God can't be worn out or wearied. But they chose three that God could not be worn out or wearied. And Jesus says, this is not about meaningless repetition. This is not about coming to God and, and just wearing him out. This is in the context of, I want to make sure, Father, that I am constantly aware of my need to depend on you for righteous judgment. I am in need of you. I have to depend on you. I have to call out to you, believing that you will answer. So what he's doing is he's telling us that, that if we're not intimate with God, we lose heart. You ever met one of those folks? Lost heart? You know, so, ah, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if going to church is doing me any good or not. I, you know, I just don't know. I'm just, I'm just discouraged. I'm just down. I'm just defeated. I can tell you the one thing you can find out is to get them honest about where they are in their prayer life. Because in prayer, God steals and encourages our hearts. When we're not praying, then we start acting in our own resources, in our own way. That's the way the world acts. We're not supposed to act that way. The world looks like they never pray. And you can look at it and channel surf and watch entertainment tonight or whatever you want to watch, and you'll just say, man, these people never have any problems. They never have any issues. They're always glamorous. They're always dressed up. It's always spot on. Everybody applauds when they walk on the stage. Nobody applauds when I walk in a room. Everybody does this. I mean, they got everything. problem is you don't see what they don't want you to see. What they don't want you to see is their messed up lives. Their lives that are defeated. Their lives that are addicted to substance abuse. Their lives that are addicted to alcohol, to pornography. They don't want you to see what is really driving. And so all you see is a facade. That's why Psalm 73 says, I almost lose, lost heart until God took me in and showed me their end. Why is it? that major rock stars of the 1960s when I was growing up 
multiple numbers of them all committed suicide when they were 27 years old. Why is it that great names and famous people like Marilyn Monroe and Ernest Hemingway and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain and John Belushi and River Phoenix and Christina Onassis and Robin Williams all took their lives because what you saw was not who they really were. They did not know how to call on the Lord. They did not know how to plead their case before God. They didn't know where to take their sorrow and their hurt and their pain. And so they saw life as meaningless. Louis B. Mayer, who was the head of MGM Studios for a number of years in the 30s and 40s, he was a major power broker. He could make and break a career. He rigged a couple of Academy Awards, just so you know, <laughs> to favor his studio. The last words out of Louis B. Mayer's mouth were these, nothing matters, nothing matters. That's the life of an unbeliever, but I want to tell you, it's also the life of a believer who is not in intimate communication with their father because the devil starts to slip in and tell us God doesn't see, God doesn't care, and God doesn't know, and it doesn't matter. And we give up. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. Look at the blessings of knowing Christ. These two people in this story, the widow is helpless, the judge rules with power, and this widow has someone harassing her. There's some intense opposition. Somebody is persecuting her, and so she appeals to this judge for help. And this judge could care less about her. He could care less about her problem. Nothing bothered him. He's just annoyed. He's ticked off. And she found a way to get his attention. And she just wears him out. Day and night, night and day, he couldn't get rid of her. So he thought, the only way I'm going to get rid of her is to give her what she's asking for. Now, if an unrighteous judge will do that, what will a righteous father do for his children? He has compassion for his children. This widow figured out that the key to power was persistence. Now, the contrast here is between the righteous judge and a righteous judge, between an unrighteous Roman or Herodian judge and a righteous God. And she keeps coming to him day after day, week after week, however long it was, She's coming to him saying, would you please help me? Would you please help me? And she's just calling this judge all the time. If they had had email, she'd send him an email every day. If they'd had text message, she'd gotten his phone, she'd have texted him every day. You going to do something about this today? If they had social media, she would have posted, this judge won't do anything for me. Would y'all please like my comment so I get enough people to say that they agree with me? I mean, it just was going on and on and on. It reminds me of when my girls were young. And they would, they would sit in the van with Terry and they'd just go, Mom, 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 Mom. And one day in the van, Terry said, I'm changing my name 
and I'm not telling you what it is. And they said, Mom, and she didn't respond to it. I'm changing my name. You're not going to know what it is. So here's Jesus. He gives this story about this unrighteous judge. And, of course, people would have been sympathetic and said, why wouldn't the guy listen to a widow who is being harassed? Surely that they would care, this judge would care. Somebody could speak to him and tell him to care. It's not because somebody spoke to him. It's because she wore him out. She wore him out. Now, here's the principle. The key for the widow was persistent, perpetual pressure. The key for the believer is persistent, perpetual prayer. With her, it was pressure. Jesus is telling us all through his ministry, pray and don't faint. Pray and don't give up. Approach your father. Say, Abba, Father, Daddy, I am coming before you as my heavenly father. You see, when we're up against the wall, when there's opposition, we are supposed to take the position position of prayer. This is not about insistence. It's about intimacy. God should not be expected to hear us because we are insistent, but because we are intimate. He hears us because he knows us. This persistency stirs the heart of God. Look at verse 7. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? Remember, he's talked about the second coming and the times in which they live, the age in which they live, and what Jesus is saying as he begins to turn this parable is God is going to make all things right. Nobody is going to stand before the throne of God and say, God was unfair to me. God never did what he should have done in my life. Nobody is going to have a beef with God when they get to heaven because he does all things well. So, we aren't pestering God. We're persistent. We're prevailing in prayer. We aren't trying to browbeat him and trying to blackmail him you know, I, I heard a guy years ago say, God, if you don't do this, I'll quit serving you. I'm sure nobody in heaven panicked. I'm sure he did not dispatch angels to say, oh my goodness, that guy's not going to serve me anymore. Let all of heaven crumble. That's a high opinion of self and a low opinion of God. It is prevailing prayer. It is going before the Father. It is understanding out of an intimate relationship what I can ask, when I can ask, how I should ask, and when I should stop. God is not an unrighteous judge. He's not hard-hearted. Romans 12 says we don't always know what to pray for, but God knows. Has God ever seemed slow in answering your prayers? Have you, have you ever just thought, you know, man, it sure has taken God a long time to do this. Well, just for encouragement, it took me 27 years to get the answer I got last week. Some of us can't wait 27 minutes. 
for God to come through and break through. But God knew when he could trust me with an answer, and God knew when he could trust me with an open door, and God knew what he could tell me when he could tell me. And I had to know when to pray and when to not pray. I had to know when to start, and I had to know when to stop. I had to know when to be persistent and when I needed to back off. And 27 years later, God begins to answer a prayer that I started praying 27 years ago. See, you may not get an immediate answer, but if you're walking with God, you will have a peace even if you don't have an answer. And sometimes the peace is more important than the answer. To know that God sees and God hears and God cares. Verse 8, he will bring about justice for them quickly. You see, what we need to understand is not all of our prayers are going to be answered in our lifetime. Not everything we've asked for, we're going to find out here. There's going to be answered here. There are prayers that were prayed by saints that have gone before us that are in glory, that are still in operation. They haven't been answered yet. When you pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, it hadn't been answered yet. But it doesn't mean we quit praying it. Because we believe that Jesus is coming back. That's what Jesus is saying here. In Luke chapter 17, he's reminding them that these disciples and us live between the two comings of Christ. The first coming as Savior and the second coming as King to rule over the earth. We are between two comings. And in that time between two comings, there will be evil and suffering and persecution, regardless of what some TV preachers tell you. And giving them money is not going to take it away. There will be evil, there will be suffering, there will be persecution, but God has the last word, and his word to us is, in this in-between time, between the first and the second coming of Jesus, stay on your knees. Stay faithful, stay focused, stay prayed up. You see, it doesn't make sense, but I can seek God. He may not answer, but I can call on him. And so then he ends this prayer abruptly. I mean, he just he almost just turns a sharp corner. And he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He didn't say if the Son of Man comes. He says when the Son of Man comes. And he didn't say, when the Son of Man comes, will he find you praying? He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Because you see, faith and prayer are intertwined. You can't pray without faith, and you can't have faith without prayer. They, they are tied together. Left to ourselves, we worry, we fret, we argue, we fight, we fuss, we blame God, but when we pray, we operate in a dimension of faith. Look at this change. When he comes, not will he find people praying, but will he find faith. Prayer is an expression of faith, and prayer is confidence in the promises of God. So when I'm praying, and there's this oppression, and all this is going on, which is going on around the world, a hundred million Christians will lose their lives this year because of persecution. They will be killed 
because of their faith while we worry if our battery is going to survive on our cell phone. They're having their throats cut for their faith. They're being oppressed. Is God just got his hands tied? Is God not listening? No, God said, it's going to be this way, but when I come, are y'all going to all be hiding behind the safety of your ADT security system? Or are you going to believe me? Are you going to hope that you don't have to go through that, or are you going to have faith? When the oppressor is on you, will you come to me as a righteous judge and understand that your prayers may not give you the answer that you want, but it will give you the place you need to be? And that is before a righteous judge. Can I tell you something? Nobody gets away with anything. You say, well, that guy murdered somebody and he never got caught. He's going to be caught one day, here or there. They'll be caught. Nobody gets away with anything. Everything is going to be revealed. And so if I'm praying, I may not get the answer, but when Jesus returns, will he find me in the place that I need to be? In the place of prayer and in the place of faith. You see, it's not, here's where we've got to move to. We've got to move from information and inspiration to intimacy. And we're in a prayer study right now in small group Bible studies on Sunday morning. Pray like this. It's an incredible study. We're in that study. You're getting a lot of information. We're preaching on prayer all this month. We're ending with a prayer conference with Mark Bearden. All this information on prayer. So, so I get informed, and that inspires me. Yeah, you know, prayer is a good thing. I ought to do more of it. I ought to pray more. But if information and inspiration doesn't lead to intimacy, it really hardens your heart on the matter of prayer. And the devil slips in and says, it doesn't do any good. You're wasting your time. You'll hear a story tonight about someone because they were prayed over at 545 before services start. We have staff members up here to pray over people. You hear a story tonight about a changed life because a family came up last Sunday night to be prayed over. Is prayer just for us information and inspiration? We love to hear sermons on prayer. We love, love to talk about prayer. And we talk about prayer more than we pray. Or is it intimacy? Does faith bring us to intimate communication with God? Martin Luther asked this question. You that manifest a concern about religion, why don't you pray? Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, you may be here this morning, and the prayer that you need to pray is, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I know that I don't have a relationship with you as a heavenly Father. I know about you as God, but I, I don't know you as a loving Father that sent his Son to die on a cross to pay the price for my sin. And today, I want to pray, I want to ask God to change my life through his son, Jesus Christ. So in a moment, 
We're going to give you an opportunity. You can step out right now from where you are, in the front, the back, in the middle, wherever you are, and come down and find one of these men and say, today I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus. I, I, I know that God cares and God sees, that God knows, and I know that he sent his son to die for me, and I need to find out how to have that kind of relationship with Christ. Well, some of you need to just slip by these men and you need to come to this altar because the truth of the matter is you've bought a lie that praying doesn't matter. You've bought a lie that it doesn't matter if you cry out to God and call out to God because God's not going to hear. God doesn't know. God doesn't care. You've become discouraged and you've given up. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you are being persistent in prayer, but today you need to find your way to the altar and say, Lord, I'm coming to you again. I, I, I'm not trying to wear you out. I'm trying to get right up in your ear. I want to whisper to you my concern, my need, my hurt, my pain, my prodigal, my family, my marriage, whatever it is. I, I, I need to have your ear today, Lord. To just say, God, you know and you care. You see, you understand all that's going on and you know me. And you know my hurt and my pain. I want you to see in my life faith that I do believe you're going to answer that prayer. Maybe not in my lifetime. It may be this afternoon. But I believe that you can and you will answer those prayers. Anybody else need to come to the altar? Anyone need to come? to find Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today. We're going to pray in just a moment. Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find us faithful to be people of prayer? Or will he just find us that we're informed and inspired about prayer, but we're not intimate in prayer? Will God find in us, with us, through us, a relationship that he will say, there's an answer on the way. So you know when to start, and you know when to stop. Anybody else before we pray? Father, all throughout this room, there are needs. There are physical needs, financial needs, spiritual needs, emotional. There are hurts and there are pains. And we've listened to the whispers of our enemy, the devil, and of our frail flesh that have spoken to us and said, it doesn't matter and God doesn't care. Or we've listened to a lie that we can get whatever we want. The truth is, you are a loving Father who gives good things to His children. Lord, even at our best, we are still sinners when we give to our children and love on our children. But you're a Father who gives the best to His children the peace of God, the power of God, the presence of God in an intimate relationship with you. 
May we be a people who call out and cry out to you, knowing that you are a righteous judge, that all the books are going to be balanced and the accounts will be settled one day, and that we are in your hands and we can trust you with our needs. Lord, we are like the widow. We are helpless and defenseless, and we need you. And so we call to you. And I pray for every need that is at this altar today, that you would manifest your presence with them in a powerful way to hear and to know that you're on it, that you've got it, that it's covered, because we have a loving Heavenly Father. In whose name we pray people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.